This is Crime Connections. We are your host. I'm Leah. And I'm Jackie. The case we are discussing today dates back to the early 1980s and was unsolved for decades. But in 2019, familial DNA broke this case wide open and it gave a suspect for at least three of the murders. So this is the case of Dr. No. Along the I-71 interstate in Richland County, Ohio, on June 12, 1985, the body of 25-year-old Marsha Catherine Matthews was found. There was no attempt to hide her body. She was very easily seen by a truck driver less than a mile from the Union 76 Plaza truck stop, which is just north of Mansfield, Ohio. Mansfield, Ohio is northeast of Columbus, just to kind of give everyone a gauge of where it's at. When Marsha Matthews was found, she was presumed to have been dead. A blunt object had been used to beat her face. When paramedics had arrived at the scene, they were able to find a pulse, but unfortunately, she died two hours later at the hospital. Marsha was known for working from the Union 76 Plaza truck stop as a prostitute. She was originally from Akron, Ohio, and was 5 feet 7 inches and 135 pounds. The autopsy confirmed that Marsha was killed by blunt force trauma to the head and face. She was fully clothed, and unfortunately, it was impossible to determine if there had been any sexual assault because of the profession that she was in. Mm. So while it was mostly assumed to have happened, it could not be definitively stated in the autopsy report. The next, it it is, it's one of those things that um, it's very unfortunate for cases like this. Yeah. The next body wouldn't be discovered until July 20th, 1986. Over a year later is when the body of 23-year-old Shirley Dean Taylor would be discovered in Medina County at a closed rest stop off of I-71. She was discovered by a truck driver that had stopped off to the side of the highway to go to the bathroom. Shirley was found behind a three-foot-high concrete traffic barrier, and her face had been beaten by a blunt object. Shirley's pants, underwear, and shoes were missing, and there were thin ligature marks on her neck indicating that the murderer had first tried to strangle her before then beating her to death. It was, again, impossible to determine without a doubt that sexual assault had occurred, but it was a little bit safer to assume considering that Shirley's underwear and pants were missing and they had never been found. Shirley was 5 foot 6 inches tall, weighed 125 pounds, She was originally from Pulaski, Virginia, and she also frequently worked out of the Union 76 truck stop in Austin Town. So both victims were frequent prostitutes in that Union 76 Austin Town truck stop. Other prostitutes had told investigators that the night Shirley went missing, she was being solicited over the CB radio by a gentleman that went by the name of Dr. No. Oh. So just a quick background on CB radio, because I really didn't know a whole lot about it until I researched this case. A CB radio is commonly known as a citizen ban radio, and it can be used by just about anyone. CB radios, they are primarily used by truckers to warn other truckers of traffic jams, construction areas that may be coming, they may be coming across, things like that. But in this particular situation, the CB radio was used for prostitutes from truck stops to communicate and solicit truck drivers. So do you mean that he, Dr. No supposedly was saying, like, look out for this woman or like this woman does this or? No. So 
what would happen is the prostitute would get onto the CB radio. They would give her handle, so just like a name that they would give themselves, a catchphrase that was developed as her trademark mm-hmm. to kind of separate her from all the other women. And the truck would then answer back with a description of what the truck looked like, what row they were in. So the trucker would get on and say, oh, hey, this is so-and-so in the blue whatever in row three. And then the prostitute would go to the truck. And then after... So it's kind of like an advertisement type thing. Exactly. Yeah. So then once the um, prostitute had gone to the truck, they would then use the CB radio from that truck that they were in to radio to their next client. So they would go from one truck, use the radio, and then go to the next truck. So that's how the CB radio was being used in these truck stops. A truck driver or even a normal individual could pick whatever handle that they wanted to go by. There was no rules or regulations on what handle you had to use. So there could have been a handful of truckers that went by the name of Dr. No. Mm. It wasn't very significant at the time that this trucker went by Dr. No. It just was kind of like, okay, that's this trucker's handle, but it could also be hundreds of other truckers' handles. Less than six months later, another body was discovered in Ashland County, Ohio, which is about 30 minutes northeast of Mansfield, Ohio, in a grassy area next to the I-71 interstate. The body of 18-year-old April Barnett was found by a trucker passing through. Unlike the other victims, April had been strangled to death. She was completely nude, and investigators had found articles of her clothing littered along the I-71 interstate all the way down to Columbus. So her Dang. clothes were littered about a 70-mile stretch along the highway. That is... Very far. Yeah. So it's it's quite literally as though the murderer took her clothes and just flung them out of the window mm-hmm. at various different times. Again, April was... like, for what reason? I... <laughs> To get rid of evidence, I guess, to maybe taunt investigators. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like it was more of a taunt thing because, yeah. like, you hey, follow me, it, right? You know, at that point. Yep. Again, April was a prostitute that was known for being at the Union 76 truck, Austin Town Plaza, just like the previous victims. So this is where the next victim would be found in a different county and a different state. 28-year-old Jill Allen was found partially clothed on an eastbound ramp to I-70 in Madison County, Illinois, on December 19, 1986. Jill had also been strangled to death. Her panties, bra, winter coat, and jewelry were all missing. The autopsy revealed that Jill had only been dead for a few hours before she was discovered. So that told investigators that the truck driver that discovered her body was mere minutes behind the killer. Wow. That also makes me wonder... That's not that far from the first few victims. Like, I mean, it's like... No, they're all within two to three hours drive of each other. Yeah. So all of these are in... Like, if you were to kind of draw everything almost like in a circle, like what the radius is, Mm -hmm. they all fit within a certain radius. A few months passed when 27-year-old Anna Marie Patterson was found near Creekbed along I-71, just north of Cincinnati on March 23rd, 1987. She was found with massive blows to the head from a blunt object, and her body was discovered wrapped in a sleeping bag. She was found with massive blows to the head from a blunt object, and her body was discovered wrapped in a sleeping bag. She was found wearing a pullover shirt, underwear, and pantyhose. None of her other clothing were located. A Really quick, so when they're saying none of her mm-hmm. other clothing was located, 
How do they, I mean, minus the, the women that were naked, how do they mm -hmm. even know she was wearing more clothing? Because, I mean, it was never reported, but I'm going to assume that other women that were working with her. Like saw her before. That last saw okay. her before she kind of disappeared or like went off. No, noted what she was wearing yeah, yeah, or yeah. had said what she was wearing and they believe that the clothing that was missing these articles of clothing that had never been found were kept as trophies mm, okay. so, a Pennsylvania couple had driven down to look at buying the land that Anna Patterson was found on before they discovered the sleeping bag and its contents so that is how she was discovered oh. this couple came down to look at this land to buy to build a house found the sleeping bag and inside of it was Anna Patterson. Near her body, there were tractor trailer marks indicating that her body had been driven to the spot and dumped there. Oh my gosh. So Anna Patterson's situation was a little different than the other victims. She was found to have been six months pregnant uh. at the time of her death. And she was married to a gentleman named William Patterson. Mr. Patterson was also her pimp, for lack of a better word and had last seen his wife when he dropped her off at a truck stop in Barkeyville, Pennsylvania. So she was last seen in Barkeyville, Pennsylvania and made it north of Cincinnati. That's where her body was found. Wow. So it's about a four to five hour, maybe even more drive. drive. Yeah. The husband reported her missing on February 14th, 1987. And remember she was found Again, just north of Cincinnati on March 23rd, 1987. Dang. And mm -hmm. do they have a time of death? They don't. Anna Patterson was from Finley, Ohio, was 5 foot 5 inches, 130 pounds. And again, she frequently worked out of the Union 76 Plaza in Austintown, Ohio, and had told Austintown police the day before she disappeared that she was fearful for her life. Wow. She vowed to try and find clues to aid investigators in finding the killer. Oh, so she was, like, investigating it. She was asking questions, talking around, because so many women had gone missing from mm -hmm. this specific plaza and were found murdered. Though she was dropped off near Barkeyville, Pennsylvania, she had made way to the Austintown, Ohio truck stop where witnesses revealed her last call had come from a black or dark blue Peterbilt truck where the truck driver used the handle doctor know. The autopsy had also revealed that Anna was murdered within 48 hours of her disappearance, but the state of her body had been found in suggested that the murderer kept her body refrigerated in order to prevent decomposition. Which makes you think, did he have a refrigerator truck so that's that where, he kept her in? Yep, that's where investigators start to wonder if that's how these bodies are being transported. Yeah. August 10th, 1987, is when yet another body had been found face down in a grassy area along the I-70 interstate in Montgomery County, Ohio. This is north of Cincinnati. For the first time, this victim was not able to be identified. Nobody had reported her missing, and there was nobody coming forward claiming to have known her. She was listed as a Jane Doe and died from strangulation and was dead for about 14 hours before she was found. She was five foot five inches, 125 pounds, and had blue jeans and light blue underwear pulled down to her mid-thigh area. No other clothing had ever been found. There had been old needle punctures found on her hands and arms, which indicated to investigators that she had drug use. Mm -hmm. 
Investigators also found two unique tattoos that they had hoped would aid them in identifying the body. There was a unicorn on the right breast and a rose on the left breast. No missing reports nationwide matched the victim's description, which very much indicated to the investigators that she was a transient and she was just most likely passing through and was soliciting herself to probably get money to live and feed her habit. One other detail that was interesting to investigators is that the body had been found with abrasions and grass depressions, which indicated to them that the body had been dumped from several feet high, Mm. like a semi-truck. Wow. The fact that they can even indicate that is absolutely crazy to me. It it is. The fact that that kind of evidence is a real thing is crazy. Yeah. So So they kind of determined that the killer had dumped her from, like, the top of his semi-truck. Like, he had crawled up to the top. Which is weird. It is. It is. But that was... For what reason? Unless he murdered her up there and just kind of, like, tossed her down. Yeah. Yeah. April 19, 1990 is when another Jane Doe had been discovered in a small, unmarked grave in Licking County, Ohio, which is about one hour south of Mansfield, Ohio. Her cause of death was by blunt force trauma to the face and neck, and her body was found near a pilot travel center off of I-70. She was in her late 20s to 30s with reddish-brown hair, brown eyes, and had at least given birth to one child. So she was a mom, which is also very sad. In October of 2016, she was identified as Patricia Corley from Louisville, Kentucky. So this is really one of the only Jane Doe's that later was identified so she was found in 1990 and it wasn't until 2016 that she was properly identified wow that's a long time Mm -hmm. patricia's sister-in-law had originally tried to file a missing persons report for her in 1990 but at that time she was told she was not allowed to because she wasn't a blood relative so they wouldn't file the report so it's uh, it's not like she wasn't loved and she wasn't people weren't looking for, for her, her yeah they just had protocol in place that prevented them putting Sucks. out this missing persons report in 2016 the same sister-in-law contacted louisville police and asked for help again in finding patricia detective ann hogan took on the case and started swabbing dna samples from patricia's relatives and was able to successfully locate patricia and determine what had happened to her the sad part about this specific murder is that Patricia's body went unclaimed. So she was buried on a hill with other individuals that had never been claimed, which I did not know was a thing, but it makes total sense. When there are unclaimed individuals, there's a place that they have to be buried. I'm surprised they're not cremated because burying someone is very expensive. Yeah, Um, because they knew she was a mother, They buried her with a headstone on her grave that said, Jane Doe, somebody's mother, somebody's daughter. So that just reiterates that all of these women were somebody's loved one, Mm -hmm. regardless of their profession. They had families. Some of them had children that loved them very deeply, and their lives were stolen from them. And at this time of 1990, nobody was making the connection that these cases might have been related. Which is absolutely crazy. And well, I think a lot of it had to do with what the women's profession was and that's very sad because regardless of what your profession is you should still be given the same courtesy as anyone else that's murdered yeah we have 
covered cases multiple times of women who are in the sex trade mm -hmm. industry and unfortunately are treated so poorly mm -hmm. because of what they do. And you know, it's like, who effing cares what they do? They still were killed. Yep. They still were murdered. Mm -hmm. they, it doesn't matter what they're doing with their lives. If you're murdered, it deserves answers. There's other professions that some people would deem, you know, not very respectable, mm -hmm. but because it's it's not selling your body, then it's like, oh, well, that profession's okay. Yeah. And it's, it's just, in this case, it, it happens a lot that these women, I think that the investigators, they did a very good job of trying to do their investigative work and mm -hmm. figure out what was going on, but the cases didn't really reach the headlines very much. In fact, the it wasn't all put together until an investigative reporter named Michael Barons was researching serial killers for an article that he was going to write for the Columbia Dispatch. It was in his research that he started noticing some similarities between all of these murders. Wow. And he said, I quote, I remember a statement that a FBI had once said that prostitutes make the ideal serial killer victim because they're transient and often their disappearances aren't reported immediately. Recent statistics show that prostitution is one of the most dangerous professions. The death rate for prostitutes in the United States, and this is current, is 204 out of every 100,000. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. That's a lot. When there are billions of people Mm -hmm. just in the United States and we're only talking a hundred thousand and two hundred four of them are, are being murdered, murdered every year and it's not dying of natural causes it's no. being murdered. murdered yep like that's the difference yeah 204 people dying of natural causes doesn't seem that jarring no. 204 people being murdered yeah and is a big freaking deal and mostly being murdered and never having their murderer brought to justice again because of their profession unacceptable once he dove into his research he found these murders had occurred across eight different counties all the women had been beaten or strangled to death they were found alongside a major interstate they were all suspected to be prostitutes and they worked primarily at truck stops so again i just want to reiterate this is an investigative reporter putting all this together mm -hmm. it's not police because like this is in the 80s and 90s this was definitely a time when in my opinion, police did not talk to each other in different counties. Now I feel as though com police communicate all the time yeah. with each other. But back then it was very like, we'll take care of our cases. You take care of yours. You, we don't need to talk about anything. And see if there's any similarities. Mm -hmm. Well, and I will say they're definitely better now, mm -hmm. but there are still plenty of times to yes. this day where counties or states do not talk, talk to, to each, each other. other. Yep. And then things go missed that shouldn't go miss yes if it's not in their jurisdiction it's almost like eh, out of sight out of mind yeah like oh a prostitute was killed in your county as well cool I, i've got my own to deal I've with got my own issues let's yeah. not talk and figure out if yeah. they're related yeah it's definitely better because of obvious systems mm -hmm. that are in place to help yep. other counties with similarities and things but it's definitely still an issue and it comes down to not only are they not talking most of the time not yeah. all of the time and obviously this is very broad to say so not everything is going to be the same mm -hmm. but you also have the issue of egos and people yep. being worried about looking bad or you know i yeah. mean and obviously that's not the case for everything but a lot of times unfortunately almost it like is. you don't want another county to solve 
your case because then it makes you guys look like Bad. you don't know what you're yeah. doing. And that's unfortunate. But it is believed that these women were mostly spread out through the state of Ohio and they were separated just enough in some cases that a connection was never clearly mm -hmm. made. So again, very kudos to this investigative reporter because if it weren't for him, the connection never would have been made. It would never have been put together. Or who knows how long it would have been. Yeah, exactly. By someone else. <laughs> so I'm sure that their chosen profession and the murders happening near truck stops also made it more difficult for law enforcement to pursue a suspect because truck drivers can be in one truck stop one day and then the next day they could be like five states over. Mm -hmm. So it's it does make it a lot more difficult to gather evidence. And Yes, and for people that don't live in the United States, you have to remember mm -hmm. our states are freaking huge. Yeah. So like... It takes five hours to fly yeah, to California. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, these truckers are going yeah. at crazy. Like, they're going from one side to, like, the middle of the state in a day, which is a big freaking deal. Yeah. And is. so, you know, this girl might not be reported missing for three, four days until her body is found. Or, you know, like, she might not be found for a month or two months. Mm -hmm. But he's already moved all the way across the country. Yep. Or, or, you know, who knows where he is. Yeah. So, so it, it's just They had their work hard. cut out for him. It wasn't until about two years later, April 9th, 1992, that another body was found at a truck stop near I-80 near Austintown, Ohio. This woman was listed as Jane Doe, had multiple blunt force injuries to the face, head, and chest, and the autopsy ruled the death as asphyxiation. So she was strangled to death. Authorities determined that Jane Doe had been murdered somewhere else and dumped near the truck stop. In 2013, she was identified as Sharon Lynn Kedzierski, Originally from Florida, Sharon had been reported missing in 1989. Wow. But she was from Florida. So there again, connection was not made. Well, and you also have to think is a lot of the times p these women that are in the sex trade industry, mm -hmm. prostitution and things like that, a lot of times they're runaway children who then grow up, turn 18, 20. Yep. And are no longer the child that was missing yep. five six years ago and know? one yeah and another interesting thing about kind of going back to when Anna Marie Patterson's body was found not very much decomposed so Sharon Lynn Kedzerski she was reported missing in 1989 and she was found dead in 1992 yeah so we don't know when she was murdered mm -hmm. because but her body had been found multiple years later yes and preserved more or less she was supposed to originally take a train from Florida to New Jersey, but she was never seen again. She was a mother of two, and while Sharon's children were relieved to have their mother found, I'm sure it was not the ending that they ever thought no. would happen. This murder occurred when DNA first started becoming used more in forensics. So 1986 is when fingerprint DNA was first used to confirm that a suspect was not responsible for a murder. By 1992, DNA had progressed even more, and the DNA was able to be collected from the murder of Sharon Lynn Ketzerski. So this was the first time that DNA was really collected from a crime scene or from a victim. When exotic dancer Victoria Jane Collins' frozen and naked body was found behind the Union 76 truck stop in Stony Ridge, Ohio, DNA was recovered from the scene of the crime as well. So they don't know if Victoria Jane Collins' murder was related to all of these other women but I just wanted to notate her murder and how DNA was recovered because mm -hmm. it'll get brought up again. The fact that her body was frozen. Yeah. 
For decades, investigators had no leads and very little evidence from the crime scenes. It wasn't until 2019 that the use of familial DNA led them to their killer for at least four of the murders. Wow. Samuel Legg III. Samuel Legg III was born in Tucson, Arizona. When his parents divorced, he was left with his father who had moved back to Akron, Ohio. Mm. He married Nancy Hicks and became a stepfather to 14-year-old Angela Hicks. In July of 1990, Angela Hicks had disappeared with Samuel Legg being the prime suspect. Wow. Once Angela's body was found in August of 1990, Samuel was interrogated and given a polygraph, but all of the circumstantial evidence ultimately led to his release and no closure for the death of Angela Hicks. Oh, that's so sad. So they, the whole family believes, including his ex-wife, Nancy, believes that he's the one that killed Angela. But all the evidence that was gathered was completely circumstantial, and the polygraph was inconclusive. So he didn't pass it or fail it. Yeah. Which... How reliable are polygraphs, but still, it's worth noting. Worth noting, yeah. In 1991, so just a year after Angela was found murdered, he divorced Nancy and moved to Cleveland, Ohio, where he became a truck driver. For 10 years, he traveled the country as a truck driver and a mechanic. In 2001, he retired to Tucson, Arizona, where his mental state very quickly deteriorated. In January of 2019, the DNA collected from the crime scenes was entered into a public genealogy database. So kind of like the Ancestry DNA and the 23andMe. Mm-hmm. And that is where one of Samuel Legg's brothers had his information. Investigators contacted the brother, probably interviewed him, and they were led to Samuel Legg III. Legg was indicted for the 1992 murder of Sharon Kedzierski and named a suspect in three additional murders and a rape from 1997. That's crazy. Yes. So really quickly, in case anyone doesn't know, the familial DNA Mm -hmm. is obviously DNA that is connected through a family member. Mm -hmm. And it has to be a close family member, like a brother, a mom, a dad. Dad, Yeah. Like I think immediate Immediate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I think is absolutely amazing because, for one, crimes are being solved because you can really pinpoint it's related to this family in some way yeah it has to be someone close yeah. which i think is really cool and they're learn they're catching a lot of people now well and that. it's great too because when you give your dna to these companies mm-hmm. you're consenting that they're allowed to basically use your dna so when police use it to trace you back to another family member that could be guilty of a murder or you yourself could be guilty of a murder you consented to give your dna yep so it's to me, it's kind of cool that it's almost like an investigator's way of jumping around, like jumping through those hoops of having mm-hmm. to collect DNA samples. Yeah. And hopefully uh, things like this will keep popping up where people are giving their DNA and it's linking them either to murder suspects or the murderer or even, themselves. Uh, yeah, I was going to say of the victims yeah. or the murders themselves, which yeah. is really cool. Because um, that's how, I don't know if I mentioned this, but a while ago, it's totally... A random little side bit real quick we did a case called boy in the box have you ever heard of it yeah okay he was recently because of this dna mm-hmm. his family was found yeah and he now has a name and an identity and that's what's they so have great. not come out with what the story is behind his mm-hmm. murder and i don't know if they ever will but at least he has an identity he He's has not, a name yeah he is not just the boy in the box who mm-hmm. was murdered which i think is crazy because it's been years and years like 
I can't even tell you how long it's been, but it's been years. And I was talking to my husband about it. I'm like, oh my God, we did a case <laughs> on this. Like he was found. So I thought I just, it is, it, it's, it's great. very cool. Yeah. It's good to see those things kind of come full circle mm-hmm. and it shows how far we've come with DNA. Yeah. in such a short time period. Realistically. And well, this is something so kind of people do not to get totally off topic here, but this is just something people do for fun mm-hmm. to find, um, learn more about their ancestry. Mm-hmm. And now we're using it as a tool to guide investigators to suspects, to victims, yes. identifying victims. Yep. So it's, it's great to get closure and use it to aid in finding. Well, and you have those people out there that are like, well, uh, that's against my right or whatever the hell they want to say. But you know, don't commit a murder and you'll be fine. <laughs> right. Or a crime. Or don't submit your DNA if you've got something to be guilty yes, of. Don't like, give your DNA willingly. <laughs> literally. Because they can use it. It's in the fine print. So as stated a little previously, Leg was indicted for three additional murders, including the murder of Sharon Kazerski and a rape from 1997. So the rape case from 1997 was a 17-year-old hitchhiker from Lexington, Ohio, heading home from visiting her boyfriend in Cleveland. At the time, Leg was working as an independent truck driver. That just meant that he didn't belong to any specific company. Which meant he owned his truck Yep, as well. DNA collected from the victim is what helped determine Leg as a suspect. In June of 2019, Leg was found incompetent to stay in trial due to his mental instability that had been documented for years while he lived in Arizona. Additional testing done while in custody in Ohio made a judge rule that Leg would be held in custody at the Twin Valley Behavioral Health Center in Columbus, Ohio. So did he have like dementia or something? Or is he stated? They believe he's like bipolar, schizophrenic. Mm. He has just a lot of mental health issues. And it's all kind of documented. I mean, there's a few articles that I read that kind of dive a little bit deeper into his past, like his childhood and his upbringing. And it seems like his mental instability really started when he was like a teen and just gradually got worse and worse. And when he retired and went to Tucson, Arizona, that was where he would be found just out wandering the streets. He was in kind of like a nursing home, but more of like a, um, I don't want to say a psych ward because it wasn't in a hospital, but he was in a home that helped people with mental instability and he would escape from these homes and then he would be found just like wandering the streets. Which then makes you think, okay, is he doing all this because of his mental instability? Right. So that's why, I mean at that time in 2019 when he was found incompetent to stand trial it wasn't just a show i mean a lot of people a lot of people that are accused of murder will pull that card and they will say oh i'm not able to stand trial mm-hmm. and, and i'm incompetent but he legitimately was and it was documented even in tucson arizona everything that he had um, gone through in August of 2020, Leg was indicted for the murder of Victoria Jane Collins. So that was another murder that there wasn't a lot of information on her murder, but I think it's because Leg was indicted for this, and I think investigators are keeping a lot of that kind of sealed. Mm-hmm. To They don't want to give out too much because he's not even able to stand trial right now. Yeah. So I get why a lot of information is being withheld from the public. Because until he's able to be competent to stay in trial, they have to 
be very careful what they release. When, are they predicting that he's going to be competent at some point? So that's why he's in the Twin Valley Behavioral Health Center. I think that he's in the health center to try and... Get better? Like yep. get on medication? Yes, and determine what he's suffering from mentally and how they can aid him to be able to stand trial. But in 2021, a jury found again that Leg was not competent to stand trial, citing that he is unable to assist in his own defense. I researched it a little bit what it meant when a suspect is unable to assist in their own defense. Basically what it means is that he's unable to give them reasoning as to why he's innocent to this crime. So if oh, okay. he were to go stand trial right now, what he says, he would be found guilty without a doubt because he's unable to mentally understand what's going on okay, and what yeah. he's being accused of. Which, so yeah. his defense team, they're trying to gather information from him mm -hmm. and he's not able to give them anything. Which then makes so then me that, think, is he even going to get better? Like, is he ever going to be tried? Or is his mental state to the point there's just no fixing well, it, you know? unfortunately that's where the case kind of ends for right now so i hate to leave it on that but as of right now in 2023 he is still considered incompetent to stand trial it's suspected that samuel Egg could be connected to more than just the four murders that he currently stands accused of and that he is the infamous dr no but that sucks investigators have said that while it may not be possible that he is responsible for all of these murders throughout the 80s and 90s they do believe he's guilty for more than just these four that he's accused of and mm -hmm. i completely agree investigators have also gone on the record though saying that they don't believe dr no was just one person oh, okay i previously stated that cb radio handles were never you didn't have to register them there was no it was just kind of like a willy-nilly thing like yeah like i could go on a cb radio and call myself dr no and i wouldn't get in trouble for it there'd be no repercussions for it but don't recommend no not please don't do, do that. that just using it as an example <laughs> it's been widely speculated that these murders were done by more than just one individual because Samuel Legg would have had to have been a teenager in the night for the 1980 murders to be guilty of the very first women that were found along the highways mm -hmm. he would have been a teenager and as stated previously he didn't really become a truck driver until 1991 yeah now it's totally possible that he was committing these crimes but i mean he could have teamed up with someone there could have been another person i personally believe that it was him and another person i don't think it was just him yeah um, it does seem a little less likely that he's responsible for the 1980 murders i don't I don't believe he was responsible for the very early murders. I think that there was another person, but he did call himself, Samuel Legg did call himself Dr. No. Oh. So he did have to, I think he had to have known the person that originally did it. So did he call, like, where did he call himself Dr. No for them to know that? For the murders of Sharon Kedzerski. Did he say that to the cops or did he? No. So when they were investigating the murder of Sharon Lid. Kaczerski, it was found that she had like answered a call to Dr. No. Oh, okay. And same with the um, one for Victoria Jane Collins. She was the exotic dancer, was mm -hmm. also presumed to be a prostitute. And she was found by a truck stop and they believe that she also answered to Dr. No. Yeah, no, I'm saying though, 
How did they know he called himself Dr. No? Did he admit to that? He went on the CB radio. Like they heard him on the CB radio oh, call okay, himself okay, okay. Dr. No. And then DNA linked him back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To yeah. It. Okay. Uh, he also had that dark blue Peterbilt truck. Mm-hmm. So, In the description, yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't believe he was responsible for the 1980 murders. Well, and to be honest, anyone could have called themselves Dr. Like you said, they mm-hmm. didn't have, it wasn't like a registered name. It was just something that they told people they would call themselves or whatever. Yep. And if someone wanted to get away with murder and this Dr. No person is a suspect, yeah. it's a really good way to make it seem like it's another well, person. Well, and there's nothing stating right now that there isn't still people going by that CB handle. Yeah. Like people could still be ridiculous and using it thinking it's funny or a joke but regardless he at least with the dna he's been found to be responsible for four of these murders and that rape Mm -hmm. in 1997 i don't believe as a teenager he would have been able to do what he did yeah i don't either but at the same time the similarities between all the cases is they're they're so similar there's no way that they aren't related so i that's where i kind of get into the whole theory of he was more or less groomed by the original Dr. No to, I don't want to say take over, but it wouldn't surprise me if like another person kind of showed him what he was doing and he was like, oh, this is how I do it. This is how you can get away with yes. it. Yes. Another theory I was thinking of is something along the lines of he kind of lived in that area. Um, yep. He could have come across something. He could have, if he was a loner or if he had... Yeah, that's very true. He could have hung out at the yep, truck diner. Mm-hmm. It was I'm assuming it's like a diner truck yeah, stop type thing. Yeah. He could have hung out there yep. and saw something and like then that's how the guy yeah. the original well, Doctor No like contacted him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it's a, easy to do that. It's very widely believed that he murdered his stepdaughter, mm-hmm. Angela Hicks. So it's not as though he didn't I don't wanna, he already had gotten away with it once. And he had already killed once. So just in our experience with serial killers, they don't just kill one time. Mm -hmm. So I do believe he met the original Dr. No, but he is so mentally, there's, it's just, he's so mentally unstable. I don't know if we'll ever hear from him what actually happened. And I can't say without a doubt that he will stand trial. As of right now, he's not competent, which I have a feeling he won't. Yeah. But he's, and it's not, it's not just like a ploy. He really is that mentally unstable. Yeah. And it's, it's sad because there's so much information that he has, but right now it's like they can't believe mm-hmm. anything he says. So until he's found competent to stand trial, there isn't any additional information being released to the public. We still don't know the other homicides that he stands accused of. So like mm-hmm. I said, he's definitely accused of two homicides right now. And those victims' names have been released. And the 1997 rape, her name has been released as well. But there are three other homicides that he is being convicted of, or accused of, I'm sorry, accused of, that we don't know yet. Yeah. They haven't released those names. But I will say that as the case progresses, I do, I'm keeping an eye on it. I'm making sure to keep updated on it. So. Anytime that there's any more updates provided, I'll make sure that we follow along and provide you guys with those. But as of right now, in May 2023, he's still not competent to stand trial, and he's still in custody at the Twin Valley Behavioral Health Center in Columbus, which is probably where he will be for a while. So I don't, there hasn't been any more news about when he will be tried again to see if he's competent or not. So we'll just have to keep an eye on it. 
there is a podcast of a I don't know if he's a retired cop or a current detective. I am I'm, I'm not sure honestly, but he interviews serial killers. Like he's somewhat friends with them. Wow. Like he's not literal friends with them, but he portrays that he's mm-hmm. friends with them. Mm-hmm. So they will talk to him mm-hmm. and he interviews them while they're in jail. His whole idea is he's trying to connect them to more murders yeah. that they have claimed committing yeah. and you kind of like try to well, it's kind of like that confess. show. Yeah, it's kind of like that show, Mind Hunters. Like how the yes. whole FBI really yes. started in the. Oh, that is the best show in the world. So good. But this guy, he has a podcast. I listened to it forever ago, so he, I'm assuming he has new episodes, or mm-hmm. he he discontinued it. I'm not mm-hmm. honestly sure. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because there is a truck driver serial killer. I do not know his name, but he is in prison right now, and he talks to him in the podcast multiple times. And the guy is creepy as I'll get out. And the way he describes, he's he always is talking about, he's like, there's so many of us, you wouldn't even believe it. Yeah. And it's so easy. He's like, the mm-hmm. amount of times I was pulled over with a woman that was killed in his literal like backseat mm-hmm. and they never looked into it. Well, think about how many truck drivers you pass just on one day when you're on the expressway. Mm-hmm. There's millions. Mm-hmm. They now have a system for truck driver serial killers, mm-hmm. specifically, which they need it because it is one of the hardest to convict because mm-hmm. of how much they they move and how they're at one spot one day and then the next day they're at a whole different county, mm-hmm. state, whatever, you know. And don't, totally not bashing truck drivers. Love the work you do, but it's really unfortunate that there are people that they're a bad job and they do really bad things Mm -hmm. while doing it yeah i mean how you could drive by a ton of truck drivers that are doing something illegal and you would never know yep unfortunately so if you have any information about these murders please call the ohio attorney general at 1-800-282-0515 As always, thank you for listening to Crime Connections. It has been exciting sharing this case with you all, and I'm excited to bring more to you. If you so kindly would please follow, share, and go like us on Facebook at Crime Connections, or follow us on Instagram at Crime Connections Pod. If you have any news, tips, or cases you want us to look into, please feel free to email or DM us. We love hearing from you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Bye.